Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Now, me and Lombardi are both Jersey guys, but I wish that we lived closer by because last night there was the Verk Lombardi Bowl, Raptors and Sixers. It would have been nice <laughs> to have some Johnson's popcorn between the two of us. Before we get to Eli Manning, 30 seconds or less, Mike, how about Fred Van Vliet? Big win for the Raptors last night on ESPN. I mean, when he sees the Sixers uniform, he just like shoots 78% from the field. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, he should carry a 76er uniform, white, red, or blue around with them. I mean, it's absurd. I, I mean... Look, I think, to be honest with you, if you're paying attention to the Sixers, there's a sense of urgency with their team. They play hard as hell. They weren't very good. But they're sending a subliminal message to Embiid that, hey, hey fella, you come back. you got to play. You got to match this intensity. Look, we weren't good enough last night, but you got to match this intensity. I actually think it's been a blessing that he's been hurt. It's amazing to think, by the way, five teams within two and a half games. Milwaukee, clearly the best, and then everybody else is lumped together. Miami, Toronto, Philadelphia, you name it. Yeah, and it's only going to get tighter and tighter. And once this trade deadline comes in, and I think that's what the Sixers are trying to wait on is this trade deadline and see if they can get one more shooter to add to their team. I think they play good enough defense. They obviously don't shoot good enough. And, uh, you know, he's got to come back. I mean, look, take you know, here's the thing. If you're an Embiid fan, look at Embiid when he was at Kansas and look at his body today. Like, he hasn't changed his body. And it's hilarious how the media never gets on him because he's Joel Embiid. Like, and Simmons had didn't have the same game that he's been having for the past week, and immediately it's like Simmons sucks. You know, it's like it's unbelievable. And Simmons is by far their best player. Like, oh. he's by far their best player. I was about to say the amount of rope people give Joel Embiid is is unconscionable considering what his actual results are versus what you know you think he's going to be. It well, it proves this point. And Uncle Junior proved this point, too, when he went to go see Kennedy. They say this, doctors that are kind to their patients, that are engaging and look them in the eye, rarely get sued for malpractice. And so the point here is Embiid so kind and generous to the media, he never gets sued for malpractice, <laughs> even though he's out of shape. You know, you know, you know, whatever Kennedy said, Junior agreed with, right? It's the same thing. And I think that's really the lesson here. It is true. Treat the media well. They'll look after you. You're right. Corrado and Embiid separated at birth. <laughs> uh, we've got a major topic to get into here. And by the way, next week, GM Shuffle, great news, folks. Mike and I are going to be pumping out podcasts every single day, okay? Every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to the Super Bowl. We'll break down everything you need to know about the Super Bowl. And today, we've got a major topic, which is Eli Manning calls it quits. And let me get this out of the way right now. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he should be, Mike. Everyone's going to keep mentioning two-time Super Bowl MVP. Yep, two-time Super Bowl champion, four-time Pro Bowler. But this guy was never the top five at his position, never the top three at his position. You never said, hey, Eli Manning is one of the best quarterbacks in football. You never said that. He got hot at the right time and certainly made some great plays. But he's also a guy, the Giants missed the playoffs nine of the last 11 seasons that began with him as the starter. Mike, you're supposed to elevate the players around you. He didn't do that. And his one loss record is even Steven. He's 500, 117 and 117. He's going to get the gold jacket, but I don't think he should necessarily. I think a lot of people just get you know, blown away by the two Super Bowl championships. Yeah, I'm not sure the Hall of Fame is truly the Hall of Fame. I think it's really become a political animal more than anything. And I mean, we can debate who doesn't belong and who does. And I think this, it, you know, Warren Moon's in there, and I really question why. I mean, Warren's numbers are incredible, but he never won. 
So there's the reverse to Eli's. He's won two Super Bowls, you know, and it's a little bit, it reminds me of this book I'm reading about the Comanche Warriors. And this one Texas Ranger figured out that if you kill the chief of the Comanche Warriors, because these Comanche Warriors were incredible fighters. They could fight on horses. Their Mustangs were fast. They could cover a zillion miles. They could shoot bow and arrow from a moving horse at 20 miles an hour. I mean, they were ruthless. I mean, some of the gory details of growing up in Texas and Oklahoma during the 18th century and all that is really gruesome. However, that being said, this one Texas Ranger figured out if I kill the Comanche chief, everybody retreats. And the parallel here to Eli Manning is if you win Super Bowls, you get in, right? All it takes is winning Super Bowls. All it takes is killing the Comanche Warrior. All it takes is Super Bowls, and you win the fight. And I'm back and forth on this. I I mean, he's 8-4 and in the playoffs. He had five great road wins. I mean, really, Mike Carey should be the the presentum because Mike Carey calls in the grasp, right? If Mike Carey calls in the grass before the David Tyree throw, we might not even be having this discussion. If Asante Samuel catches the interception on the sideline, we might not be having this conversation. And I get your point. I I don't disagree with you. Like, the debate really is, is he a Hall of Famer? If I had a vote, to me, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Don't even go down that road, right? No way. But, I mean... They picked the wrong player. Phillip Rivers was better than him. And that's a great point, because I was texting with a buddy of mine, and he said, listen, uh, you don't think Phillip Rivers would trade his career for Eli Manning? I said, listen, that is a very lazy argument to say, just because of a couple of Super Bowls, that Eli Manning is better than Phillip Rivers. Don't give me that, all right? There's a couple of lightning-in-a-bottle plays. We all know. You mentioned the, the, the catch to Tyree and that pass to Mario Manningham as well. Those are two gigantic plays that Eli made, no question about it. But this is what Deion Sanders said, okay? And this is to your point, Mike, about the Hall of Fame being, you know— uh, Um, diluted. Football immortality used to be reserved for players who redefined their position, made a big impact on the game, and this is Deion Sanders saying he didn't embody any of those three points, Eli Manning, when he was in the league. Think about that. Redefined their position, made a big impact on the game, and dominated their position for a period of time. He didn't do that. No. And, and look, that discussion isn't really just about Dion. That discussion's about what's happening going on. And thank God Belichick and some other people that understand the game. I think Rick Coslin does a great job. But some of these people that are getting to the Hall of Fame, uh, I mean, like that was my first reaction when Bill Cowher got in. Like, yeah, he's good. But I thought Jimmy Johnson belonged before him. You know, and then of course Jimmy got in as well. So yeah, I'm with Dion on this. I, I think they've really laxed the rules of the Hall of Fame. It's something other than an exclusive men's club. It really isn't. I mean, it's like they've opened the membership. He also threw too many interceptions, which is always an issue as well. I mean, I, and I get it. People can say, well, Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees weren't the best quarterbacks of their generation. But those guys, again, were in the top three, top five discussion. There's no question about it. I mean, just because you played in the era of Tom Brady, that's different. For me, Eli threw too many picks. And, and listen, Mike, let's be honest. Part of it, too, is your last name, okay? He's part of the Manning name, and that's going to help his candidacy as well, right? Right. No, I mean, it's look, let's face it. This is an election. Right. And, and if you can carry the Southern primaries and in, in this, you're going to win. I mean, Eli, I mean, look, it, just say Eli would have had this career in Kansas City. Right. If he would have had this career in Kansas City, how much would it have been a tainted eye on him? How much with all those interceptions? How much of, you know, he played two years too long, even though the Giants kept putting him out there. You know, I give him a lot of credit for retiring. He didn't want to become humiliated and not get an offer. And, you know, people saw his talent dwindling, even though Dave Gettleman said two years ago that Eli had five more years left in the tape he's watching. I mean, I mean, when I said it at the time, Dave needs an eye exam. I mean, there was just no way. But to me, it's a, it's a hard one because of those two 
two wins. Those two wins stand above and beyond. But then Warren Moon's in with his numbers. I mean, look at Joe Namath's numbers. They're horrendous. A lot of picks. Joe Namath, a lot of interceptions, right? They're horrendous, right? So, and, and yet he won that one Super Bowl. He guaranteed that victory. And then he had no durability. One thing about Eli, now he has door. He had durability. There's no doubt. His best ability definitely was availability. No question. But I, I think your point, look, if you're not in the top five of your position at the time you're playing, how in the hell can you get in the Hall of Fame? I think you're dead right. I think you're dead right. I appreciate it. And I agree with you that I do think Eli's making the right decision stepping down now. I'll give him credit there. He could have hung on somewhere, been a starter for some bad team. No, it's good. Step aside now and do what you got to do. Our Make Me Smarter segment now about Matt LaFleur. Uh, if in case you missed the gym shuffle last week, take a listen because Mike's got an excellent nickname for Matt LaFleur, which I hope will catch on. Uh, <laughs> no, Big Daddy. Vince Lombardi. I, we call him Big Daddy in the family. Big, Vince, who I need to get on the pod. I mean, he's ready to go. He's He's got his notes all in front of him. He's ready to go with his commentary on the pack and what needs to be moved forward. So maybe one day next week we'll get him on. And I got to get my man who hates punting on as well, too, just to explain, you know, what his phobia is about punters. So we need to go through that. Yeah, but LaFleur right now, when asked about whether or not he's going to retain his defensive coordinator, Mike Patton said, I mean, we're still working through everything right now. He's going to sit down with team president Mark Murphy and start making some decisions. So that's one part of it. Here's the other thing that caught my eye, Mike. LaFleur said he still can't understand his team's lack of urgency, especially in the first half during that blowout loss to the Niners in the NFC Championship game on Sunday. This is the quote. That's something that I'm still trying to figure out right now as we speak. I mean, I don't understand that because you're there. You have an opportunity to go to play in a Super Bowl, and for that to happen, it's extremely, it's bothersome. We have to look at ourselves, everybody. I'm going to look inside of myself and see why we weren't our players playing with their hair on fire. I think everybody in our organization has to do that. What's he talking about? Lack of fire. Isn't that on the coach not to motivate the guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not trying to pick on LaFuck, as Vince would call him. The reality of it is, is, is like, this is your team, right? You were 1 for 15 on third down the last time you played them. You go 0 for 4 in the first half. Anybody who's watched that tape, and I've talked to a lot of people in the NFL since that podcast on Monday, and all of them agree. Like, all of them are like, look, this is what happened in Tennessee. And there's a lot of people that believed he wasn't going to come back as Tennessee as the offense coordinator before Murphy appointed him the king of all things Green Bay. And so the disconnect here is remarkable. And, and I think the lack of experience in terms of being a head coach, like, does he really evaluate what's going on? Like, at some point, you know, does Petten deserve to be under scrutiny? Sure. Anytime you only allow eight passes thrown against you and you never stop the run, you never set the edge. But this just wasn't on Petten. This was on this whole team, the preparation, the ability to motivate and inspire, and how to play the game. Like, he calls plays without understanding how to play the game. You're not going to beat the 49ers just calling plays. You're not going to beat the 49ers running beaters. If you don't attack the rules in their coverages, the rules in their coverages, not their coverages, you're never going to beat them. He still doesn't understand that. And so this isn't – I'm not – like I don't have a thing for LaFleur. I really don't. I mean, this is just fact. If he's honest with himself, he should almost fire himself because his game plans all year were not very good. I mean, he went 0 for 10 as the offensive coordinator for the Titans against the Baltimore Ravens last year. This has been a pattern of being poor on third down his whole career. Like, this just didn't happen in San Francisco in Week 12. This has been, like, all season long with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So, for me, you know, I think he looks at it. Now, look, here's the reality. Trace Armstrong represents LaFleur, and he represents Mike Pettin. So, you know, they're not going to be able to make too much of a move there. You know, like usually guys will call their agents up, say, you know, what did I get advice from them? You know, well, what's he, you know, how do you put yourself in that position? So, 
look, I, I think they have to really evaluate where they are. They need somebody in that building in Green Bay who has expertise on really what needs to help LaFleur. What they should be doing is hiring somebody to help LaFleur, not contemplating trying to get rid of Petten. Because I think ultimately, you know, if you help LaFleur, you'll be helping Petten. My brother's a huge Bears fan. He was so happy. He was listening to you this week on Chicago radio, giving hope to Bears fans, saying, don't worry, the Packers are not going to be that great for that long the way that the organization is headed. <laughs> no, and I totally agree with that. I mean, you can talk about all this. Look, they, they're benefited from a tremendous schedule. You know, I think their point differential was 51 points over their four, 13 or four, whatever, how many wins they had, right? So they played it. They won a lot of close games. Now, you and I both know we've watched enough sports in our career that one year you win close games, the next year you don't win close games like that could easily shift right and even though you have the greatest quarterback in football he wasn't playing at the highest level his yards per attempt might be one of the lowest in his career this year so you really didn't have that going for you so like if you're a Bears fan I mean obviously you know you've got your own issues with MVP Mitch I mean you've got to deal with that right <laughs> you know how many times I've gotten sent on Twitter the MVP Mitch at the quarterback challenge him not being able to complete a pass over the mirror <laughs> You get set like daily, right? Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, like hey, Lombardi, have you seen this? Yeah, like I've I've seen it. Yeah, like unfortunately, Bears fans are living it. I've seen it. You guys got to live it every week, right? <laughs> Stay tuned after the break here on the GM Shuffle. Both of the Ohio NFL teams, some big time decisions to make. We'll tell you what we mean. Stick around. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Our Make Me Smarter segment continues talking with the Cincinnati Bengals and their number one draft pick. So Director of Player Personnel Duke Tobin commented on the report that the team has no interest in trading with a first pick. His answer was, drumroll please, that's news to me. Over the past week, it's been reported not only are the Bengals locked in and staying at the top of the draft, but that they're fully invested in drafting Joe Burrow with that pick. Tobin knows better than to outright confirm it in late January, saying, quote, I don't know that any decision has been made for what we're going to do in April. We're early in the process. We certainly haven't had any meetings to determine that at this point. There will be meetings. We'll go through this process. Come on. They're drafting Joe Burrow right here, Mike. What are you going to do? I mean, I think it's all just all this is what we talked about on the pod is this is all Andy Dalton protection. This is like reinforcing the Andy Dalton issue to get more value for Andy Dalton. I mean, when it comes out and you know you're picking Burrow, you've immediately de devalued Andy Dalton. 
So now you've got to pump Andy Dalton back up. Look, I can honestly say this to you. It, having dealt with the Cincinnati Bengals in Cleveland, whether it's in New England or whether it's in Oakland, training with Mike Brown is near impossible, damn near impossible. And Mike Brown is pretty much set in his ways. And although, I mean, I appreciate Duke Tobin coming out and speaking for the Bengals, nobody speaks for Mike Brown. I mean, Mike Brown's running that team. Kay Brackburn Brown, all, that that's who's running. And to get him to make a trade, I mean, I know teams that have tried to trade for Alex Erickson, the wide receiver who's the seventh on their depth chart. And clearly, clearly, he isn't anywhere near what they pay him for, like the sixth or seventh receiver. But you can't even, they, he won't trade him. He won't trade him. Like trading with him is damn near impossible. So this whole notion that they're not going to pick Burrow, I, I don't believe it. I think Duke's doing what a good employee needs to do, which is buff up Danny Dalton and make it seem like it. Look, they've got their own issues. You know, listening to people call me from the Senior Bowl this week talking about how bad the Bengals' practices are, how disorganized they look and all that, I think the issues in Cincinnati run deeper than just who are they going to pick. I think this is going to be a big year for Zach Taylor because I think if you're Mike Brown, you almost think now – I've gone down the David Shula era, you know, back when Cincinnati hired a young David Shula who really wasn't ready to be a head coach. It's going to be really interesting to see what Zach Taylor does next year because it's either now or never. And the best thing Zach Taylor can do for his career is draft Joe Burrow because that'll save him. That might save him. If he comes back with Andy Dalton and goes 2-14, and 14, which he could easily do, it, you know, he's done. Yeah, I, I, we're going to talk a lot about Burrow and, and all the challenges that he can present for NFL defenses. But you and I agree. He's a special player. He's going to be a great player. But you're right. The Bengals have so much more work to do beyond a franchise quarterback. But you can't begin the building without a franchise quarterback, right? It's like building a house. We need a foundation first, and then we'll figure this thing out, and it's going to take some time. But if you don't get the foundation built, if you don't get the franchise quarterback, which is there for the taking in Joe Burrow, then you've got a whole host of other problems. So you're right. It's smart to come out and say, well, we're going to kind of wait to see in a it, but this is going to be the no-brainer of no-brainers. You're drafting Burrow. You'll trade Dalton. Well, I think there's a market for him. I think some team will say, we'll take a flyer on this guy. Why not? I think that'll happen, but Burrow is a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're Carolina, right, and you're in a transitional state with Cam and you don't think Cam's going to come back, Andy Dalton comes in, you get him to play well, you get some respect. It's a little bit like what Andy Reid did bringing Alex Smith in there. You know, at some point, you may not be able to get a quarterback in this draft. It may be a year away, and Andy Dalton may be able to get you good before you get great. Like, that's the whole thing. When you take over a losing team, you got to get good before you get great. And you, what you don't want to do is maybe what the Giants have done, which is draft Daniel Jones. Is he great? Maybe he's just good. You know, if the Giants had the first pick in the draft, would they take Burrow or would they keep Daniel Jones? Answer that. Riddle me that, Batman. Like, seriously, what would they do? <laughs> Right. And that's where you don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to have a guy in the next year's draft be significantly better than the guy you just took. It's a little bit back to the Mahomes debate, right? If you could pass on Mahomes, you're going to have to defend his ass. Like, you know, what are you doing here? What are we doing? And, and, and is he and is this guy generational? Do you think Joe Burrow's generational or do you think Daniel Jones is? That's the question. And, and so Andy Dalton allows you to look over the landscape over the short term. You know, it's it's a little bit like what Charlie Munger always says about people that, that think in the short term and they try to be smart, you know, that sometimes in the short term when you try to be smart, you end up being the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> That's a really good line. Make Me Smarter continues. Kevin Stefanski was with the Minnesota Vikings for 14 seasons, survived a lot of 
regime changes in those years, finally left this offseason to become the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So Stefanski is hired before the Browns choose their general manager. is isn't always the way teams do things. So George Payton, currently the vice president of player personnel and assistant general manager of the Vikings, is coming on Wednesday for a second interview with the team. Of course, Mike, you had many years there at Cleveland Browns. You know what it's like being a manager there and trying to build a winner I, I, listen, everyone's had a lot of opinions just about the fact the Browns are kind of doing this to the reverse. Get the head coach first and then go with the GM. But what do you think about George Payton specifically? Well, I think George has been up for a lot of jobs, and certainly he hasn't quite been able to – You know, he, had the, he interviewed for the Indianapolis job. He's interviewed for jobs, and I think he's probably got to the point where do I take one or do I sit back here and think my next opportunity comes up, which it may never come up. And I think that, you know, obviously – the Cleveland one is a little bit treacherous in the sense that you're walking into an analytical-based personnel department that is fueled by a guy who's running it who's based on analytics. And, you know, so you would think Andrew Berry would be the natural fit. But you're also a partner with the head coach, which helps, right? So that could help you mend the two things together. I think if Peyton felt like he didn't have another opportunity – now, they tell me there's going to be a lot of – there could be significant movement in the GM chairs after the draft uh, this offseason – and maybe he feels like he does something there, or maybe he feel like he gets an in with someone there. I don't know. But I think his decision is, do I take this and pat and wait, or do I just go in there and jump full force in there and see what happens? And obviously it's all going to come down to his relationship with Stefanski and how they get along and then you know, how he's going to manage that situation in Cleveland, which in spite of all the conversations that happen outside the building, people tell me that you know it's really not exactly – you know. Someone said to me yesterday in all the interviews, they never talked about what it takes to win. They only talked about analytics. Which is a terrible sign. As we said before, analytics means information. That is a good thing, the gathering and accumulation of information. But analytics at the the mercy of scouting and football knowledge and instincts, well, that necessarily isn't a good thing. What are the chances, Mike, that the Browns are confusing George Payton with George Patton? Like maybe they think they're going to get George C. Scott in front of a giant American flag who's going to give a big speech and rally the troops like Baker Mayfield. Hey, wouldn't that be great? I mean, really, uh, you know, I'm sure he probably loves the sting of battle. You know, Americans <laughs> love the sting of battle. I'm sure he probably does. I do want to go to Belgium and I want to see that cemetery. There's no way I'm, I'm, I'm going to live on this earth without seeing that where he was buried as a soldier in all those fields. They say going to Normandy and Omaha Beach and all those places are just incredible. And after reading Salinger and the book by Shane Salerno, and knowing that Salinger was actually crossed into Normandy on the invasion and had parts of Catcher in the Rye written in his backpack uh, makes me even want to go even more. Salinger, one of your favorite books. You've tweeted that before. Well, unbelievable. It's an incredible book. I mean, I went to Valley Forge Military Academy, and that's where Salinger went. Milton Baker was the founder of the school who really wrote letters on behalf of J.D. Salinger. So there's a kindred spirit between, not that I'm anywhere near the writer that Salinger is, but, you know, obviously writing and all that and, and his fascination in terms of becoming a recluse and writing every single day without any publications. I mean, I think his first stuff is going to come out next year that he wrote in that cabin up in Cornwell, New Hampshire, which, you know, it's, it's interesting. People would sit at the corner and wait for him to come down to go get his mail, you know, and, and the whole saga between Ono O'Neill and the, the Hurricane Forest battles that he was in. I mean, it's just really, and in fact, he, he married what they believed to be as a Jew, he married a German Gestapo secret service agent and brought her to the United States. I had no idea about that. that I mean, I was going to say, Salinger is one of those mythological characters, but that's crazy. Yeah, no, that's why the book's incredible. I mean, the book's incredible. I mean, you just sit there and turn every page. You're like, holy heck. And it's a book that really paints a different light onto 
what actually was going on. And, and I mean, it's just really well written. So Very cool. All right, coming up, Mike and I will talk about Jay Gruden resurrected in Jacksonville. Plus, there's a stunning moment involving the Pro Bowl. We have to get into that next. All right, time now for Joe's question of the week before we get to the Pro Bowl. Joe, what do you have for us? So Jay Gruden said to Jacksonville to become the Jaguars' new offensive coordinator. I have two questions for you guys. With all the shakeups that happened at the end of the season, will his hiring help or hurt the Jaguars? And do you think he'll ever get a shot at being a head coach in the NFL again? Uh, listen, I think the Jaguars got a lot of issues there when it comes to their offense. We, we both love uh, Minshew here, the mustache, and he's a fun player to watch. But they got to get their running game going. You know, they thought they had the answer with Leonard Fournette, and obviously things have been up and down there. I don't think he's going to get another shot at being a head coach, Mike, unless he's electrifying near the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I don't use the word electrifying with the Jacksonville offense, at least the way my brain sees this happening. No, and your brain's pretty well. I think what you're going to see is Jacksonville's now going into West Coast. Maybe Jay will run a little run-pass option stuff. I mean, the debate is going to be, is it Nick Foles or is it going to be Minshew? I think the issue here is, look, this Jacksonville team, at least they're united. I mean, this is how bad they were internally within their organization, is Tom Coughlin was the vice president of all things, right? He had everything. He made his office on the head coaching side, and he was in the head coach's office and Doug Marone was in a coordinator's office. Think about this now. Think about this. Coughlin comes in there and says, I'm the king of all kings. I'm really the head coach, but even though I'm a vice president of football operations, I'm going to take the head coach's office. And Doug, you go sit in one of those coordinators' offices over there, and we'll work from here. I mean, think about that. Now, just removing him from the building is going to save him. But, I mean, look, they still have the David Caldwell issue. Can he actually pick players? We'll see. Last nine years, they've lost 10 games or more. I think there's a lot of personalities on that Jacksonville staff that are kind of set in their ways. George Warhop has an offensive line coach. He's experienced. you got Terry Robisky coaching running back. I mean, there's a lot of things. It's going to be hard for Jay to get everybody unified on one page. It's going to really require Marone as challenge. Uh, I don't see Jay ever getting a head coaching job again. I, I think Jay's going to have a hard time winning down Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville has been a terrible team. Aside from the aberration, the one year of Saxonville, they made a push AFC Championship game. Other than that, they've just been a mess. The Pro Bowl. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Xavier Rhodes named as a Pro Bowl replacement along with four of his teammates, including Kirk Cousins. But Rhodes didn't have a good year. According to Pro Football Focus, among the 120 cornerbacks who played 300-plus snaps, only six had lower pro football focus grades than Rhodes. In 15 games, he didn't end up with a single interception and forced just one fumble. Michael Lombardi, what the hell is going on? How is Xavier Rhodes a pro bowler? He's not. I mean, let's just call the Pro Bowl. Do you want a free trip to Orlando game? I mean, that's really what it is. Like, you know, when MVP Mitch got there last year, it was like, are you serious? Like, you know, and Xavier Rhodes, I mean, when you put down the point of emphasis to go play Minnesota, number one thing, attack Xavier Rhodes with, with in-and-out movement. He doesn't handle quickness, has a hard time covering man-to-man. I mean, look, what can I say? I mean, you know, it's they put this game on, and the players don't want to play in it. You know, they're better off playing a tag game. They're better off doing something else because nobody really wants to play in it. So now they're going down to levels that are ridiculous. And if you have a Pro Bowl, now most teams are smart enough to do this. When they write their Pro Bowl bonuses, it's only paid as if you're a first ballot Pro Bowl. Like if you got in, like Christian McCaffrey, he got in on the ballot, right? So he would earn it. Now, 
some teams put in you got to go play to get the money you got to be in the game or some just said if you earn it but if you're a second or third fourth generation pick like Rhodes you don't really earn a Pro Bowl bonus so you've got to be you have to use the distinction to do it because if not I mean like this is becoming like the Hall of Fame I mean it's just like whoever wants to get in get in it's always amazing to me Mike all of us can agree as football fans that the game is a sham and it's tough to watch nobody's tackling it's an embarrassment like is it's a free trip and yet the ratings are still good for it. like I'm always amazed like it just shows the power of football that there's like eight million people in this country who still watch the Pro Bowl even though like it's just horrible football right like it it must pain you as a football guy through and through to watch this and go nobody cares everyone's mailing it in like it's like the NBA All-Star game 160 to 156 like who watches this crap yeah, I mean, to me, the NBA All Star Game is a little bit like watching the, the going to a Harlem Globetrotters game. The skill level of the players is kind of what you're watching, and it's loose and it's fun. You know, I get that game. This game, I don't get. You know, it's really not. And but look, let's face it. I mean, we love football. Now we're really going to test our football love two weeks from now when the XFL starts. And Jersey just passed yesterday that they're allowed to put numbers up, and people can bet on XFL games. And that's going to be really to see how much betting helps a new league form and keep it going and what those ratings are going to be like. That's what I think is going to be fascinating. That is going to be interesting because you're right, especially here in Jersey. I mean, you want to gamble on anything you want. And the XFL, we all know the popularity of football beyond the fact it's a great sport is helped in large part by fantasy football and by gambling. So if you can put a little money on the XFL, I think that absolutely will help its chances of surviving. No doubt. and No doubt. And, and look, McMahon doesn't need ratings right away. He just needs to get... The whole thing was built for betting. I mean, this whole league is built for more more things to bet on, you know. And I think the casual fan, once he gets into it, that's why ratings are up in the NFL. Ratings are up in the NFL because everybody has some form of action, whether it's a dollar parlay or whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or four hundred five thousand with my man four hundred five k up in Connecticut. I mean, whatever it is, you know, it, everybody's got some kind of action on it, and so I think that helps drive the ratings. Well said. You can read Michael Lombardi in The Athletic. You can also listen to him on VEASAN. And we'll be back with the GM Shuffle five days next week, folks. Every single day, we'll focus on a different aspect of the Super Bowl that you need to lock in on. And, of course, Mike will give his pick. But we'll wait until that until next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode, all right? We talked to Joel Embiid, J.D. Salinger, you name it. We ran the gamut this time. <laughs>